This episode is sponsored by Newbie Remote Conf. Newbie Remote Conf is a two-day completely virtual conference hosted by none other than Charles Max Wood. If travel expenses are an issue or you just can't afford to be away from home for two days, then join us. It's virtual. This conference is focused on people who are new to programming who want to learn what the pros know or just get a leg up in getting a job and getting into the programming community. We'll have speakers from all over the programming community to help you stay current and a Slack room where you can connect with speakers and other attendees in real time. We'll also have a live roundtable video chat for attendees and speakers, plus we'll provide the talk recordings to you within days of the conference. Early bird tickets are available for $150 until May 12th, and the call for proposals is open until April 28th. So come join us at newbieremoteconf.com. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another My Angular Story. This week, we're talking to Keon Stephen, uh, or is it Stefan? Stephen. Stephen. Now, he joined the Adventures in Angular Slack, which I'm, I think I'm going to rename it because for me, it's more of a, a user's group. I'm trying to create kind of an online community and, uh, you know, I'm going to be doing more events and things like that on there right. where, you know, we get to have speakers come and talk to us so we can keep current and do like roundtable discussions over video. So it doesn't matter where you are. Anyway, uh, he had an interesting profile that he posted there and so i said hey come on the show and let's talk about who you are and what you do so uh quite the intro but uh keon do you want to say hi well hi everyone i'm keon steven from trinidad, trinidad. i bet it's warm there yes thankfully it's always <laughs> warm yep awesome well you've done some interesting things with angular but i'm going to start a little bit earlier than that the first question i usually ask people is uh how did you get started programming well actually i had a different start than most people who have heard you interview. So in my case, um, I didn't start in high school. I didn't start way back when I was 10 or 11. I actually was studying to be an engineer, an electrical uh -huh. engineer, actually. And I started the university program and got through my first semester okay. And in the second semester, one of my courses was a programming course in C. Okay. And, and that's actually my first introduction to, to real programming, that course. And out of the seven or eight courses that I did in my um, degree, that was the only one that actually appealed to me in any shape or form. So I really enjoyed that one, and all the others were torture. And, well, soon after that, I left. I left the degree program because it just was not for me. And I spent about two or three years trying to figure out what I wanted to do next. Mm -hmm. And actually, my goal was actually to become an accountant, of all things. But... During that time, I was teaching um, high school, high school physics, maths, advanced math, and chemistry. And my mom needed a, a database to kind of organize her work in her office. So I decided to help her out, and I built something in access for her. And then the school that I was at was a small private school, and they needed something to track their students, the fees that the students are owing, what classes the these students are registered for, etc., And so I built something to help manage that and access as well. And that is what really started to scratch my itch in terms of getting into programming full-time. And from that experience, I started looking into what I want to do next in terms of further education. And I found a degree program that focused on information systems and computing, etc. And that's where I started on this particular career path. So... I basically had to switch midway, and but I, I think I found my love now, and I'm really enjoying programming now. 
That makes sense. And it's funny you said, well, this is different from a lot of the people you've interviewed. And they all kind of run together. I'm doing three interview shows, one on Ruby, one on Angular, one on JavaScript. And right. so the impression that I get is probably about half, maybe a little less than half of the people I interview are people like you that found programming when they were older. So right. I, I think people have this idea in their head that... You know, a lot of people get into it as kids or teenagers in computing, and I'm I'm just not convinced that that's necessarily the case. That's good. That's good because we we always need more programmers. So yep. it's good that people could join later in life. Yep. And the other thing is, is that I've also opened things up so that people who listen to the shows can just connect with me for 15 minutes, and we just do a Skype call like this. And a lot of those people too are people who have made some kind of career transition. So they started out as an accountant or something and, you know, it's like, you know what, I figured out I wanted to do programming or I figured out I didn't want to do accounting and, <laughs> you know, found my way into programming. So, yep. anyway, yeah, so it's, it's interesting. And yeah, uh, uh, that's another th common thread I see in a lot of these is, you know what, I found programming, I kind of started to fiddle with it and then I found that it really scratched an itch for me. You know, I solved this problem that I had and, and I was having fun and enjoying what I was doing at the same time. It definitely. That's the same thing. So from my experience doing those side projects, that's really what's made me start looking around to find something. Well, in our particular society, um, tissue level education or um, university education is important. It's something that's emphasized when it comes to um, employers. So I knew I had to do a degree of some sort. And since engineering wasn't for me, this became my next um, pursuit. Yeah. So how did you get from that to doing web development and JavaScript? Right. So um, I started my degree in 2004. And from there, I was still teaching while doing the degree. But then in the last year or so, I found a job. It was basically being a help desk person for a company. Um, that company was selling payroll and HR software. And they needed somebody to man the help desk. So mm -hmm. I started in that role and quickly switched from that role to doing training for that company, training users on how to use the software. And then the, um, the boss realized that I had an aptitude for programming, so he asked me to dabble a little bit and help, help him with an internal tool that he was building. And through that experience, I eventually switched the course and started doing programming work for that particular company. And it was a web application, so that was probably my first taste of, I guess, progr um, commercial programming or professional mm -hmm. programming. Nice. And from there, I've basically been doing mostly web stuff from then on out. So how did you get into Angular? Right, so after my first job as a programmer, I hopped on a little bit, and a few years later, I ended up in a, another company. And in this company, they, well, my primary role was maintaining a large um, insurance application. But that insurance application was used for administering general insurance to internal customers. So it was an internal-only application. But the company was also interested in exploring the options of having an external an external portal, so to say, where their clients can actually directly interface with the company. Mm -hmm. And that's what made me investigate Angular because we wanted to have something that was very user-friendly, very responsive, very interactive as a, as a front-end to that portal. And I started looking around as to what tools could be used for that purpose. And at that point in time, this was in 2014, I think, Angular really had the mind share in terms of the JavaScript framework mm -hmm. of, of the day, so to speak. 
So th that's really where I started. So after that investigation, I, I built a quick prototype just to try it out. It was very quick. I did over a weekend, actually, the initial prototype. And, well, of course, it's very easy to get stand started with AngularJS, right, the first um, version one. And I used that that prototype to basically convince everyone, okay, yes, this is the way we want to go. And that started the official project to build our um, client-side portal in AngularJS. And we did that over the course of about six months, myself being the primary developer. And I had a business analyst working with me who was doing the testing and the requirements gathering, et cetera. And we built something pretty functional, worked well, very responsive, very quick, and everybody was impressed. And that's really where I got started in Angular. Nice. And one of the things that you said here in your bio, I'm just going to put it right in front of me so I can kind of sure. read through it here. But it, it sounds like you moved from Angular 1 to Angular 2 and you did a bunch of upgrade there. And yeah. I know that some people are still... I don't want to use the word stuck because Angular 1 was awesome. Yes, But, you know, some people are sitting here and they're seeing all of the great stuff coming out in Angular 2 and they're saying, okay, how do I get there? And so I'm, yeah. I'm curious, do you want to talk a little bit about your experience upgrading an Angular app to Angular or Angular JS app, I guess is the proper term now to Angular? <laughs> right. Right. So um, from the time I started, well, once we got started with the project, um, we started hearing rumblings of this new version of Angular coming out. And just as we were wrapping up the end of our project in 2014, we had the big announcement in NG Europe, where they announced the death of Angular's controllers. And mm -hmm. I think everybody can remember that whole um, drama-filled conference. Oh, yeah. R.I.P. Freak out, freak out. <laughs> exactly right. And, of course, um, it definitely got me alerted and aware of the fact that we may be facing a very large migration in the very near future. So that had me basically paying attention to the Angular community and paying attention especially to what was happening with Angular 2. Well, that's what it's called at the time, Angular 2 or Angular JS 2. I can't remember exactly. But pay attention to what's going on with, with that particular community as they started making the announcements and started releasing their alpha versions, etc. during the course of 2015. Mm -hmm. So I, I basically spent most of 2015 just basically paying attention to what was going on, looking at the demos that they had, looking at any articles that were going on with the framework, and just keeping my eyes close to what was going on so that I knew exactly what to expect, because I expected this very painful and hard rewrite of the entire thing, basically. Right. And that went on for the, the, entire, the entirety of 2015, and then around, and during that time, I would try small applications on myself, nothing major, nothing production worthy, but just trying out the various alphas just to make sure that I understand what's happening. And then in 2016, we had, I think, the beta, I believe, came out in early 2016. And that started me thinking, okay, we're coming close to the end, so to speak, right? Um, I really need to start getting ready to do, do the migration. And thinking it would be a painful thing because from all intents at that point in time, it just seemed to be you'd have an entire rewrite of the application in Angular 2. And honestly, using Angular 2 for the few pet projects I did have, it was very enjoyable and it was nice. I wasn't completely averse to the idea of doing the rewrite, mm -hmm. but I was still looking at ways of how I could do it as quickly as possible. Right. And then I, I can't remember the timeline exactly, but later on in the year, they started announcing... Um, NG upgrade or whatever the version was before the final version that is there now mm -hmm. as a way to move from AngularJS 
or Angela One at the point in time to Angela Two. And I think it probably I probably started in June or July, just before they released RC Five, which was the last big uproar. I started trying to study migration from Angular JS to Angular Two using the tools that they had provided at this point in time. So I just I mean I it was a little painful and for the most part I was doing it on my spare time because I had other work going on. Um the project wasn't ready to, to move from the AngularJS version to Angular 2 at that point in time, but I wanted to make sure that when we started up the project again for the next phase, that we were on the newest platform. So we won't be running on an older technology that's probably going to end of life at some point. So I, I tried to um, do the migration myself on my own time. Mm-hmm. So it was basically weekends and, and, and evenings just starting to migrate items one by one. And I think Victor Savkin, am I pronouncing that correctly? He kind of mentioned some upgrade strategies in his documentation that came long after. Mm-hmm. But I kind of figured out that same concept before. And by my case, I started depth, depth first in the sense of I found whatever components were furthest away or had no other dependencies. I started migrating those and slowly but surely they start building up migrating components one at a time. And in each case, it's basically... I wouldn't say it's a rewrite because it was a copy and paste and then change things around so it follows the um, the Angular 2 format. Mm-hmm. But at the point in time, the Angular 1 application really followed John Popper's style guide. So the mechanics of each, of the upgrade of each directive really wasn't very painful. It was really a, a copy and paste and some mechanical replacing of this item with this and, and so forth. And we just gradually start replacing the individual pieces one by one until... I was able to replace almost all of the components. And the services were, were, were very simple too as well. In most cases, it was again another copy and paste where you move from a function to a class and you add the decorators, etc. But to be quite frank, even with the previous version um, of the NG upgrade, it really was not that hard once you got started. It was just getting the, the, um, the setup started so you could do your first component to migrate from Angular 1 to Angular 2. That was the, the hardest part. After that, it was very mechanical, to be honest. Well, one thing I had to do, though, because my build system for, for the Angular 1 application was in Gulp. Uh-huh. And that was the painful part. So I had to move the build system, before I even start the migration, move it from Gulp to Webpack, and then start individually. Now it's trying to figure out how to integrate 1 and 2, and then go from there. So that was the real pain point. It's, as I think most people have talked about with Angular 2, the biggest problem with Angular 2 really, before the Angular CLI was in place, was how to get your environment set up. So that's really where I had the hardest or the most difficulty. Right. Right. That's that's really interesting. And I think it's it's kind of telling too. I mean, a lot of people are a little bit worried about how this kind of an upgrade will go. And I, I think it really shows something about you, but also just about how people can prepare, you know, I yeah. mean, all of the work that you did to make sure that you understood what was coming. And, and then, yeah, then you knew what steps to take. And, you know, Victor Savkin comes out later and says, here's how you upgrade an app. And that's more or less what you had come to just because you had spent the time to sit down and yeah. figure that stuff out. And I, I think it's important too to, a, for a lot of people out there, if you're struggling with this stuff, I mean, how many hours did you put in personally before you really knew what you were going to do? It's hard to say, but quite a few. But yeah. again, I, I saw it as investment to myself. Mm-hmm. 
I really wasn't interested in what was happening with the framework. I wanted to see what was coming next. So I didn't see it as a... I saw it as, as an investment in myself and, and my own learning and understanding. So even if I never used it to upgrade that particular application, I had this new tool in my tool set that I could use for something else. So Yep. So I think... That's generally speaking what I've learned the most as I've started getting involved in the industry is that you really have to learn how to learn stuff on your own for your own self because the industry is always changing. Whatever part of the industry you are in, whether it's web web development, JavaScript development, Ruby, Mm -hmm. whatever it is, it's always changing. So you have to learn, you have to realize that you have to keep up and it's going to take time and effort, but it's usually worth it. So what's your approach then? I get asked this a lot. I have my own approach for keeping current. But I'm curious, what's your approach to keeping up on this stuff then? Especially big, scary changes like RIP, <laughs> whatever it was that you were used to yeah. in Angular. Yeah, um, honestly, mostly it's it's just on, online. A lot of articles, but I find myself getting the most benefit out of like courses. So I have subscriptions, personal subscriptions to Egghead.io. I bought some courses on Udemy. I also have two work in this case, but a, a, a subscription to um, Front End Masters. Okay. So I, I try to use those things every so often to get familiar with what else is out there. So my my next thing to tackle is React, for example, so to, to understand exactly what how that compares to the Angular side of things and so forth. So mm-hmm. it's a lot of articles, a lot of reading, but also going through those online courses, I think, help a lot. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and I, I do a lot of the same things. So first of all, when I tell people to say, well, how do I keep up with stuff? It's, well, why do you want to keep up? Like, what are you worried about? And, right. you know, because a lot of people, it's, well, I just want to be current on the latest technology. And it's like, okay, well, that approach is going to be different from, say, I want to have skills that are going to help me find a job or I want to have skills that are going to help me, you know, move ahead one way or the other. And right. so, you know, first of all, yeah, figure out why, you know, what what's the purpose of what you're doing? And then once you have that figured out, then what I recommend to people is do to do what you do, right? So you're you're looking at the courses coming out on things like Egghead and Udemy. You're watching these articles come out. And, you know, I actually have a feed that comes off of Reddit and a couple of other places that, you know, fills me in. So I get like JavaScript Weekly and NG Newsletter, you know, and it, it posts yes. it to Slack when there's a new one out. And so then mm-hmm. it's like, okay, well, I'm going to go look and I can kind of get a feel for what's new and what's coming because a lot of these groups, including the Angular core team, they don't operate in secret, so you can go see what's coming. And yep. yeah, so you just take that approach and you move ahead. And, and it's really interesting and I think admirable that you've gone to the effort to, to do this kind of keeping up and, and working in these areas. I do have to add one thing, though, because from my experience, so where I work right now, I work with technology that's not exactly mainstream. Mm-hmm. Right. So um, I wanted to get more familiar with the mainstream type things, you know, a lot of open source technologies. And I really started with with Ruby and Ruby on Rails. Mm-hmm. And that's how I actually got introduced to your podcast, Ruby Rogues. Oh, yeah. But but then when I actually had to switch a course and learn Angular, what I found myself doing, well, first it was switching a course from listening to every episode of Ruby Rogues to every episode of JavaScript Jabber. Uh-huh. And then... When the Angular podcast came out, I started listening to every episode of that and not so much of the JavaScript Jabber. And I had to just kind of scale back on all the articles and all the newsletters on the Ruby side. So the key point, I think, is that you can't keep up with the volume of everything. You have to yep. pick. 
right? So in my case, I decided to focus on this particular area, and I feel pretty okay with keeping up with the, the fire hose on this area. But if I try to continue with everything else, it will just overwhelm me. So you really do have to also, it goes, it goes back to your original point, where you have to figure out what, you, what you're trying to achieve or why, why you want to keep up and allow that to focus you as to what it is you want to do. Mm-hmm. Yep. That is, that is totally the case. Well, and even in JavaScript, I mean, there's so much motion in JavaScript that there's no way anybody can keep up on all of it. And we try and stay abreast of it. And, you know, this will probably come out after those episodes, but like NPM and Node last week, as we record this, released both released major updates, major version updates. And right. so, you know, we're talking to the NPM team this afternoon and we're talking to the Node team on Friday or vice versa. But, you know, and, and then we're releasing those episodes. But since we only release once a week, I mean, it's still, you know, th- there's no way we can keep up. And so we're just trying to cover the things that are going to have the most impact for people. And, you know, it's it's tricky. And, you know, Angular, I think in some ways, since they've released Angular 4 especially, things have slowed down a little bit as far as like having news all the time. This is what's new. Yep. But even then, I mean, still, there's so much stuff that people are now creating because it's stabilized. And how do you keep tabs on all of that stuff? I mean, it's 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 crazy. So, yeah, you have to really know what, what to care about. And that's how you stay current. Yep. So uh, what are you working on these days? Okay. So um, actually, I, my, my rule has changed quite a bit since um, I did my Angular 1 to 2 migration. Mm-hmm. In fact, that's part of the reason why I had to do it on my own time because... I've since um, become the team lead of that programming team. So instead of being able to be day-to-day with my hands in code, I I have to take a more high-level view of things. And I have a lot more project management-type responsibilities and and other types of responsibilities. So I don't get as involved in the day-to-day coding as I used to. So right now, that's primarily my main focus. Our company has a large number of projects going on. And I have to basically keep abreast and help wherever I can with all these various projects and try to direct my team to what makes the most sense at this point in time. Mm-hmm. But even that being said, I'm, I'm, I'm still, we actually have a, we have come to a point where we're trying to move to a new technology on our front end stack. So we used to use, or we currently use ExtendJS, AXTJS, I'm not sure exactly how they pronounce it, but the framework from Sensor from way back when. I had a contract that used EXTJS. Yes, right. Uh, so you I, know, I will spare a... you my poor opinion of the framework. <laughs> it worked, right. uh, but it wasn't. It wasn't. It didn't work the way I wanted it to work. Exactly right. So, and even more now, they have doubled down on their own tooling, and they have kind of set themselves apart from the rest of the JavaScript industry. Mm-hmm. So, you can't leverage any of the open source tooling that's coming out with other things. They're, they're all in their own sandbox, and right now we um. Our current, we primarily use ExtendJS 3.4, which is the version from way back when. Mm-hmm. And I think they're now on version 6. And we want to migrate from 3.4 to something. But going to version 6 of Extend, of ExtendJS is basically doubling down on the same sort of things that you're mentioning. And it's very scary. So I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out if we can actually move our front-end dev work to Angular. Mm-hmm. But the problem I'm facing in that case is really... Um, the what do you call it um the component toolbox there isn't mm-hmm. a, a nice one or one that's comparable to the features that we get in, with X, ext oh, um, okay. version 3 so mm-hmm. that's where I, i'm basically spending a lot of my time trying to see what 
is out there because once we have the tool, the, the um the components in place, the user interface components, the logic and stuff works much better in Angular than it does in ExtendJS. But as much as I hate the rest of the framework, you have to give them credit. Their 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 user interface tools do work very well from a user's point of view. So um, that's where I'm basically just keeping my eye on the um the Angular Material project. Um, keeping mm. my eye on there's another one that is pretty active too as well. I'm drawing a blank on it. What, Angular Bootstrap or something? Well, Angular Bootstrap is another one, but um, there's a third one. Um, why can't I remember this framework? But it's another open source one. They have an open source model where they release most of it as mm-hmm. open source, and then they have themes for for a price. And I'm keeping my eye on them as well, just to see if they have the features that we need. Oh, okay. And once I, once I get that user interface framework that I could use, then it's a matter of now that becoming our framework of choice um, for our future front-end development. So that's yeah. really where I'm kind of paying attention to things right now. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, you're probably thinking of something then like Kendo UI or SyncFusion right. or Widgmo or something like that. Yeah, basically. It's, it's, it's one of those, yeah, basically. Mm-hmm. It's, it's one of those. Awesome. Well, I have one more question that I want to ask you, and this yeah. comes out of uh, some interviews that I did. I... I uh, when this comes out, I will have finished and released my course on how to find a new job as a software developer. And right. I talked to somebody when I was interviewing people before the course, just so that I could understand, you know, what people actually wanted or needed. And um, he was from Trinidad, and he his issue was that I kept telling him, well, how involved are you in the community? And he was telling me, that he didn't know or he couldn't find much of a community there. And so I'm curious, right. what is the programming community or um, situation, you know, as far as being able to connect with other programmers down there? And well, how do you get around that if it's not very large? That's, that's the primary problem. It's not very large, right? Our island has 1.3 million people. So if you do the math, there were probably about 10, 20,000 programmers at most. Right on the on the island as a whole, so we won't we won't we don't have a lot of numbers to pick from. So I think um, one of the ways around that is the fact that the internet is a is a great equalizer, right? Um, there's nothing stopping you from getting involved in communities that stretch across the entire globe, mm-hmm. and that's really I think where the where or the best approach in terms of getting involved in a community because most communities their pl- their place of their place of communication is through the internet. Right, message groups or or message boards or whatever the case is. So um, that would be my advice for anybody who's trying to get involved in the community. Now, in my case, I'm still having a hard time, but it was one of the key reasons as why why I joined up for the um the Slack channel to start getting involved and start getting to know people and you know meet people at least online at least to start getting your your start getting experience with other people and other people other members of the community. And I, I also try to to start getting involved even in Stack Overflow. So this year, I really try to make an effort to start helping people on Stack Overflow, start to get to know people. It also tests your own knowledge, so it's, it's beneficial to you, but it's also nice to help people in a different type of way. So if, even if you can't contribute to a project through code or through documentation, you can still help by helping people who are having problems. And I found that to be also uh, some avenue in terms of getting some exposure to, to the community. Mm-hmm. But in terms of physically meeting up and stuff, I don't really see an easy way around the fact that we just don't have the numbers, honestly. Right. 
No, that makes sense. And and yeah, I mean, what are you going to do other than go on the internet if there's not a a large group of people that are getting together? And it's funny because I think a lot of people too think that here in the U.S. that finding these groups is relatively easy. And if you live near a larger city, that's generally true. So here in Salt Lake City, there are a ton of groups. I mean, anything you could think of that's related to programming, you yep. can probably find a group for it here. But, right. you know, out where my, so my brother-in-law is getting into robotics and stuff. He, he got a new job out there. And uh, out where they live, which is where my in-laws live. And yeah, they're, they're a little town of, you know, maybe 20 or 30,000 people tops in the whole area. You know, right. you, you can go up to the bigger town and, you know, that's 50 or thousand or so people, right? In order to get into a bigger city, you have to drive an hour and a half, which just isn't yeah. really feasible to come up for a meetup group. And so there are a lot of rural areas, even in the U.S., that have this problem. And, uh, yeah, so I'm hoping that some of the things that are happening out there in the world of technology are going to help solve some of these problems. And I'm trying to do my part, you know, I'm putting on yes. the remote conferences yes. and exactly. create the, the online group. But I, I think we need more of that. And I yeah. think I think more people ought to reach out and see if there's a way that they can create something that allows other people to connect and and have that kind of experience. And if you do live in an area like I do where there are plenty of people, I mean, you can still get involved and it still helps everybody else in the community that are trying to connect the same way you are. Definitely, and and actually, it's one of those things that I'm glad that you're doing. I haven't attended to one attended one of your conferences yet, the um the remote comps, but I do like the idea, you know, the yeah. concept of you know, you may not have the the finances or or the time to spare mm-hmm. to go to one of the major conferences, but at least you can get at least some of the experience. Yeah, through the remote comps. Yeah, and so. I'm actually doing something different now on the Angular remote conf. I haven't completely got everything set up, but I have decided to make it free. Okay, great. So it's free. If you want the recordings after the conference, then you know you pay for that kind of access, and there's going to be some other uh, perks to that. But yeah, if, if you want to come and attend the talks and be in the chat room for the talk while the talk's going, that's free. Okay, that's great. So so head over to angulardevsummit.com. Not you, Keon, because it's not set up yet. But yep. uh, AngularDevSummit.com and AngularRemoteConf.com will probably redirect there. I know some people are probably going to listen to this and say, hey, wait a minute, I already bought a ticket to that. Uh, don't worry, you can either get a refund if you want it or if you just want the you know the level of access you get by paying the, I think it's $97 before the conference and then it'll go up during the conference. Um, okay. But uh, yeah, if you want a refund or partial refund, just let me know. But yeah, it's... Uh, again, you know, this is something that I'm hoping we can connect more people around the world. And I think there are just some really terrific folks out there like you that don't have the opportunity to really rub shoulders with people like uh, the Angular core team or uh, other Angular developers and really see what they're doing. Um, even though it's not in person, it's still something and you can still get some of that interaction. Yeah, great. All right. Well, the last part of this is picks. Have you ever felt like you're falling behind or that the programming world is moving so fast that it's impossible to keep up? Then there's the issue of knowing where to go to make sure you're up to date. My answer is to join a community dedicated to discussing the latest in Angular. I mean, wouldn't it be nice if you got adventures in Angular all day? Well, you can, kind of. We've set up a Slack team for adventures in Angular that you can join. 
And that means you can connect with our listeners and guests on a platform you're most likely already using. Plus, we've set up a Keeping Current channel that pulls stories from across the web to help you know what people are talking about. And coming soon, we'll be holding monthly webinars and roundtable video chats to connect with experts in the community and with each other. So come join us at adventuresinangular.com slash slack. And you listen to the show, so you know what picks are. Uh, do you yep. have some things you want to shout out about? Well, a couple of things. Um, one is technology specific. So as much as I mentioned other online courses like front-end masters, etc., I do think that the Angular documentation is awesome. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a very good learning resource. So I'd like to pick that as one of my uh, picks. The Angular documentation is great for learning and getting started with Angular. On Stack Overflow, I see so many questions come up where the particular issue that the person is facing would have been answered if they had gone through documentation mm-hmm. themselves. So I'd recommend anyone to ch- just take your time, go through the guide, go through some of the more advanced topics, and just read through it. It's, it's a pretty easy read. I think Ward Bell is the primary um, author, and his writing style is pretty easy to, um, to digest. So definitely the, um, the Angular documentation. And then for my second pick, well, this is kind of going back to something that's been around for quite some time, but recently I started watching over The Big Bang Theory from episode <laughs> one, season one, episode one, and that show is awesome. It really is. I mean, I know everyone talks about it, but it's still, it's awesome. So I just pick Big Bang Theory. It's it's just fun. Yeah, that's a great show. We canceled our cable, so I haven't seen the last, what, two or three seasons? Okay. But funny, funny show. I awesome. remember watching it one time, and um, a friend of mine complained that, it w- you know, programmers love the show, but it's making fun of programmers. And I was sitting there, and I thought about it for a minute, and then I realized that that guy really, really reminded me of Sheldon. <laughs> And so I'm sitting there going, yeah, I can see where you come from with that. Yep. Um, and actually, that brings me to my third pick, which is for the same reason. Um, Silicon Valley from HBO. Uh-huh. That is also another great show. Um, again, making fun of programmers, making fun of the Silicon Valley culture. But again, if you're a tech nerd or a tech geek, you'll have a lot of fun with that mm-hmm. show. Unless you're very sensitive, I guess. I haven't seen it, so I'll take your word for that one. But... Uh... I've I've heard a few people talk about it, so I may just have to go check it out. Definitely worth it. All right. Well, I'm going to go ahead and pick a few picks here. One show, or so one show that I've started watching lately, and people are going to be like, "You've never watched it," and it's been off the air for I think like 20 years now. But Seinfeld, was yes. funny show. But yes. yeah, I was talking to some of my neighbors. I also realized that the first episode came out in 1989. I think. And I was nine years old, so maybe that's why I didn't quite get into it. (laughs) And and I, you know, I watched the first couple of episodes and the writing is okay, but I'm pretty aware that the writing gets much, much better. It does. So anyway, I'm I'm looking forward to that. I'm really enjoying that. And then another show that I think I'm going to pick is Stranger Things. They've come out with season two and I haven't watched it yet. And I think that's been picked on the show over and over and over again over on Adventures in Angular. So yeah, I'm picking that up. And then, yeah, I'm going to double your pick on Frontend Masters. Uh, I don't know if you picked them or just mentioned them, but they are a terrific resource for a lot of just learning how to do stuff. Um, I'm currently looking at uh, React Native, and I've watched about a third of that course. I think Scott Moss teaches that. And then, yeah, just some of the other courses done by Lucas and some of the other folks. Um, Anyway, terrific stuff. So, yeah, definitely good resources there. And then I'm also going to give an honorable mention to ngdoc.io. And we did an episode on it 
But uh, if you're looking for Angular links, then it's a great kind of curated place to go to get those. Okay. And just a, a, a last one, just to throw in. Um, I'll have to get the actual link from my history, but there's a document, there's a site called, um, I think, ngconf or ngconferences.com or .org. Mm-hmm. Basically, it's just a list of all the conferences, both past and um, coming, upcoming. And for the past ones, they also even have links to the videos themselves. So it might be a nice resource for anyone who wants to go back and look at some of those older conferences and see the talks. You can actually get to those talks very quickly through that particular um, website. So I'll see if I can get the, um, the link and send it to you. Awesome. I think it's .org. Yeah, ngconferences.org. And so, yeah, Angular Cruise, Angular Mix. Awesome. Good stuff. We'll have to get mine on there. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All righty. Well, if people want to see what you're working on these days or, you know, connect with you in some way, are you on Twitter or GitHub or what's the best way to go? Do you have a blog? Actually, not really. Um, I am on GitHub, um, Snorkbeat as my username. I'm also very, um, well, at least not right now, but I I tend to be a a bit active on Stack Overflow as Snorkbeat as well. Mm -hmm. So. But in terms of um, Twitter, I don't really use Twitter at all, actually. I still don't get it. All right. Well, there you go. Get on Stack Overflow and ask me <laughs> on a question. Great. All right. Well, we'll wrap this one up. Thank you again for coming. Thanks for having me. All right. We will uh, have another story for you all next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.